one. There we are. Happy, happy Tuesday, everybody. Uh, welcome back to another fun episode. We're going to have a great time. We've got a doctor on the line. This is going to be fun. Practicing polyamory. Real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life, flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, everybody. Welcome to the show. Before we jump in, I want to once again quickly ask everybody, since I have time today, uh, to please, if you haven't already, head over to YouTube. I'm at 73 subscribers. I need 27 more so that I can get my special URL, my custom URL, so it can say youtube.com slash practicing poly A, like it's practicing poly A everywhere else. Speaking of which, if you could, please subscribe, rate, review, wherever it is that you're listening. Uh, uh, again, practicing poly A on all social medias. So uh, please go out there, find me, follow me, and uh, if you don't mind, leave a review. Also, I want to remind everybody, if you are listening to this podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on the show. If you're actively polyamorous, I want to hear your story. If you're polyam curious, I want to hear your story. If you're a professional serving the polyamorous community, like this lady over here, I want to hear your story. Doesn't matter straight, gay, queer, lesbian, trans, NBC, ace, arrow, whatever you are, I want to hear your story. The more stories we hear, the more the world gets to learn about us and the better we can serve our community. All right, that's my spiel. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's get on with the show. Our guest today is a holistic life and spiritual coach, sex educator, and since 2015, she's been providing classes on and around polyamory for her local community. She believes that we all have the right to behave and believe in the way that is most natural to us, provided we do not control or interfere, interfere personally with anyone else. Her passion is in helping others find their path in life. She loves to see people smile, and if she can make them smile through her cooking, her volunteer efforts, or her work as a PhD certified holistic life coach, nothing else really comes close. Tune in today to learn how she's found success over her 19 years of polyamory, intertwining families, and building her community from the inside out. Joining us today from Hill Country Coaching in Pipe Creek, San Antonio, Texas. Welcome to the show, Dr. Nancy Webb. Oh, yes. That's absolutely perfect because that's what Bandera looks like, like 20 miles down the road from me. Uh, is that is that still what it looks like? That that's the old wild west. Uh, it yeah. is Texas. What can I say, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nancy, thank you so much for joining me today. Really excited to have you on uh, to get a chance to, to learn from you. I did a little bit of research on you, uh, as you can see. Uh, so there's so much that we can get into, but uh, let's talk about your work in the community first. Let me give you an opportunity to talk about what you do uh, around San Antonio and anywhere else for the polyamorous community. So I started taking over the classes back in November of 2015. Um, our polyamory group had done a basics 101 and then kind of people just kind of moved on. So somebody said, hey, do you want to do it? And I said, sure, why not? So we took me and another girl 
took Rena, took the class. We made it into a poly 101, had to split it into two because it got so much. And from there, Absolutely. I developed all these classes of basics 101, communication, jealousy, online dating, time management. Um, we went to STDs. We've branched off into sexuality versus intimacy and sensuality. Anything you can think of, even for just a basic relationship, let alone um, polyamory or even kink. We, we work with the kink community, too, because San Antonio is really cool. Our swingers, our kink and our polyamory, we all get along. We all kind of cross lines. We have respect for each other. And it's a really cool community. <gasps> it sounds like it really is a cool community. Um, and I was reading something recently. I forget who posted it. Uh, I want to say maybe it was Polyphilia blog. Um, just trying to remember who it was exactly. If it wasn't that one, then, then it was one of the other uh, poly blogs that I, that I read and listen to. There are certain terms in each of those different communities that mean different things and are acceptable at different times. So uh, this person who was writing this out was saying that unicorn hunter is like totally fine and acceptable in a swinger community, but in a polyamory community, it's like, eh, nope, X nay, we don't want none of that. Get that out of here. Right. So while you are having these uh, intermingling communities between kink and swinging and polyamory, does that uh, language, does, does, does that cause any problems or is there a lot of intercommunication and understanding? Um, we have, we do have to work on it because some people don't, especially when they're new, especially even new to poly. They don't understand all the terms and that's what the basics does. We kind of go over all the different terms. And then when we have a lot of a lot of swingers that want to become poly or we have poly that wants to become kink or kink that wants to become poly. So that's kind of what the polyamory basics 101 does. It kind of covers all those terms. But you're right, because unicorns has a bad name, but it also has a good name depending on the situation, the environment. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and then we found out that a couple of years ago, Austin, the younger generation under 30, they didn't want to be called swingers. So they were calling themselves poly, but they really were just swingers. And the unicorn mm. were really prominent in that community. So it's just about terms and understanding and nobody likes labels. But guess what? We have labels. We have to, <laughs> we have to right? You know, I mean. It, it's one thing to say that nobody likes labels, but by the same token, we all have our identities. One of the questions that I ask uh, every guest when they are creating their, their interview time is, how do you identify? Because these labels, as we're calling them, really do become so important to us. And so, you know, I, I think that there's there's value in them. But by the same token, there's also that that line that we're walking to try and figure out, you know, when does a label become, I don't know, fetishized, I guess? Judgmental, fetishized. Judgmental, yeah. all these different things. So tell me a little bit about these classes that you've got going on. Uh, so many, so many. Did you, did you develop them? Did I you did. develop them with help? Uh, the 101 was with help. The rest of them, I have done research. That's a lot of what my PhD is in is, is organizational psych and research education. 
So uh, what I do is I just go in there and I start looking like you, the podcasts, I look at research. I'm on an academic poly research site that um, Dr. Elizabeth Scherf is part of it. And that's how I got mm -hmm. into this group, but it is polyamory researchers from all over the world. They're from UCLA. They're from Purdue. They're from Cambridge. They're, they're literally all over the world and they constantly are posting what they're researching. So polyamory is not just in modern society. It's becoming a researchable dissertation for people that want their PhDs that want to do this type of work. I've participated in probably about seven or eight, research projects over mm -hmm. around the world. I am also another person that's in this poly group is, I mean, in the re academic group is Kathy Labriola and she wrote the jealousy workbook and the poly okay. breakup book. She's in this group. So it is amazing. The academia that is coming into polyamory and how they're trying to research it and give it some validity. Yeah. I'm not the only one cursed with knowledge. <laughs> all of these amazing people cursed with knowledge and uh you know I've, I've been doing some of that reading myself uh i i accidentally got in touch with dr eli um elizabeth chef um yeah. So, so I've been like diving deep into a lot of her work, learning about, you know, she's been researching for 25 years plus now, and it's just uh, incredible. And you did yours, uh, a, you did your PhD around polyamory as well. Can you tell me a little bit about it? I just, it's, it's so much work is just needed because even the kink community and, and, I've, I'm not so much in the kink community anymore, but even that community has its niche and polyamory has its niche. I mean, I've had five full-time partners over the 19 years. I, I have my nesting partner and my husband, but I've had other partners that have lived with us that have been integral parts. And I was like, I will have to tell you my fetish is veterans. I love veterans. <laughs> I love and so that was part of the work was that veterans needed this too. And so I was incorporating the polyamory and the veterans and, and how to make this more acceptable across the board. And once the military got away with, you had to be married to go do anything, you could start having a domestic partner that opened the door for a lot of research. And that was really good. And there's different um, military bases that have different symbols to show whether somebody's poly or if they're GBLT. Oh or if they're swingers, I'm not going to disclose it all because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But mm -hmm. there's a lot of things across the military bases that show that this is a really blossoming community. So I will tell you the sad note is um, we did lose our partner on Thanksgiving. He died in a motorcycle accident. Oh, my gosh. Um, he had been our partner for I'm five so sorry. years. And we're, we're dealing. We're dealing with it. But he didn't know anything about Polly when we first met. We met on OkCupid. Um, and so we were together for five years and before him I had had another partner that was a Vietnam vet. So uh, <laughs> I've had quite a few veteran partners, but <laughs> my, husband's, my husband's a veteran. He's a quadriplegic. So we, but we've done this for 19 years to boost both of us. Mm -hmm. I like to go out and do things. He doesn't like to do things. So he stays home. He has a girlfriend of 12 years. Who's one of my dearest friends. And I have multiple partners. So, yeah. It works. It's very real. It's very personal. So it's it's not like, you know, that that's one thing that I'm finding. Um, I started this podcast after 
the one that I was doing on insurance. I'm an insurance professional. So I started doing a podcast on insurance and I got pretty tired of it pretty quickly. I mean, it's work and then talking about work and and just more, you know, more work. Um, But when I started this one, like this is a passion project. Like I am polyamorous and, and happy about it. And like everything that I'm doing now, reading, learning, researching, uh, it's all, it's all very personal and I get to take a lot more out of it. One of the things that you mentioned uh, when you were talking about it was the, the acceptance uh, I guess, do you mean like societal acceptance, familial acceptance? Um, cause, and, and I'm asking for the second day in a row, cause I actually had a little interaction with a family member this weekend. Uh, we were, we were drinking, um, and you know, he, he's, he starts telling me that I'm not respecting his cousin, which is my wife. He's like, Nope, you're, you're not respecting her. And uh, you know, you're, you're, you're just not treating her right. You're, you know, you're doing her wrong and this, that, and the other. So like that acceptance is still something that we struggle with, even if we're out and open and having a podcast about polyamory, (laughs) what, what steps are being taken what do you what is society looking like what, what what kind of acceptability are we going to have you know anytime in the near future do you think well elizabeth has done a lot of research especially for children and that's where a lot of people's concern is is towards children my children were raised from the time they were about 12 and 14 they were raised in polyamory that's when i had my first partner who was actually transgender and they called her mom also. And my parents were good with that. They're like, okay, they would ask all kinds of questions. And, and they saw that my husband had just been injured. So they saw that she was helping us get through all of his injury and get life normalized as much as we could. And it was really kind of funny because I never told any of her friends, but then over the last few years, she's now 28, my youngest. Mm-hmm. And so I've come across her, her friends from school and I'm like, well, you know, I'm polyamory. And they're like, oh, mom, we knew that back then. We knew you were. (laughs) I wasn't hiding anything. And they're like, no, we thought it was so cool that if we had a problem with with our mom, we would come to you. And if we had a problem with you, we'd go to your other mom. And so, I mean, it's a community. And and that was one of the things that Elizabeth found out was that the biggest issue with kids in poly is that they can't get away with anything. Like we used to get Mm. away with a lot of stuff. And now we can't get away with anything because the kids have so many parental units watching them. (laughs) They can go to somebody else and try to say, okay, wait a minute. I don't understand what mom number one's saying. Can you explain it to me better? Or I don't understand what dad's saying. And they have a better, uh, I guess, a foundation of resources to go to. And and societally, we're realizing people are not as stressed. If they're in a polyamory relationship, you have more partners. Like when we had Joe living with us, and so my husband and Joe, and if I didn't understand what Robert was saying to me, I would go to Joe. Okay, you need to interpret the male language. I don't understand this. (laughs) And it helped a lot. Or if Joe didn't want to go do something and Robert did, then we would go and the biggest thing is communicating and getting past the jealousy. And I will right. have I wasn't aware that was something a person could do. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> we're aware of this. And, and it's not for everybody. Not everybody is happy being poly. 
But if you are happy being poly, you should be. I know on Facebook, mm -hmm. the polyamorous village right now is having some discussions about polyamory and mono. And then the poly mono Facebook group, they're having a lot of discussions about the poly mono and somebody's boyfriend is not happy about it. And so there is a lot of discussion still and people, we were all raised with societal norms and that's the biggest thing. We have mm -hmm. to break through those norms. And I mean, let's think about it in the fifties, rock and roll was not considered normal. It was considered evil. So, <laughs> you know, it's going to take a little bit of time, but I think in the next 10 or 15 years, it's going to be a pretty normal thing. And we're going to have polyamorous, commitment ceremonies and, and marriages, and I think it's going to go really well. Well, it's certainly more enjoyable than my average day. <laughs> you know, I, I really hope that you're right. I really hope that it's headed in that in that direction. Uh, reading, you know, Dr. Eli's work uh, kind of makes me believe that it, that it is. Uh, and even your article, um, I'm, I have it up on, on the on the thing here next to me. Uh, research shows couples in relationships like this are happier and healthier than everyone else. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I, I love it. I mean, it, it points out a lot of things. So so I just kind of went down and uh, there's an emphasis on open communication. So in polyamory, I keep I've said this multiple times here on the show, we have three rules. Communication, 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 right? <laughs> that's my mantra. That is my personal mantra. Everybody that's ever been to my class knows that mantra. But then the next part of that is you have to communicate correctly. Don't attack. Don't assume they understand the words you're using. Ask for information. Ask for input and feedback. 60% of the time, it works every time. <laughs> I mean that that is absolutely true. Communication is only one part of it. The other part of it is comprehension. Mm -hmm. Right? So we have to have both sides of this for it to work. Are there any tips in your basics 101 class uh aside from make sure that they understand what you're saying? What what other like you know, basics tips do you give uh, people new to polyamory or even if they've been polyamorous for a long time and they're just kind of experiencing some struggles with whatever new partners communicating? So if you are with somebody that's a night owl, do not talk to them before they've had their coffee in the morning. Do not bring up serious subjects in the morning. If they're a morning person, then don't do it at night. Don't um, attack somebody. If you're going to talk, make sure it's a relaxed environment and not in your bed, because then we're going to go mm. back to Pavlov's theory of if you're constantly arguing in your bed, you're not going to want to make love and have amazing sex in that bed. Oh. Yeah. Make sure it's not in the bedroom. If you have to go sit in your car and roll up the windows so that nobody else hears you, you can call it the cone of silence. <laughs> um, and these are just good tips that we tell people. So, but it comes down to... You're trying to get your information across. We had somebody that two o'clock in the morning, they realized they were polyamorous. They woke up their wife. They had to go at work, go to work at five o'clock in the morning and said, I'm polyamorous. And I think she looked at him like, if I had a knife right now, I would kill you. Um, <laughs> pick, your timing. pick the timing of when you're going to talk. Pick the timing of when you're going to bring in a new partner. If you're at your partner's parents' funeral is not the time to start bringing in a new partner. Right. If your partner is pregnant, 
it's not the time to bring in a new partner. It's pick your timing and be respectful. It comes down to respect. I love I'm it. sorry. I took it too far. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, it, it's, it's easy to say, right? It's easy to give this advice. And this is, you know, I, I, I've talked about this before. It's easy to, to see the forest through the trees when you're standing on the other side of the mountain. But when you're in it, you know, you're at your partner's parents' funeral or your partner is pregnant and you just happen to meet somebody who is amazing and like you can't help it. Like the chemistry's there, the vibes are there and I ignored my destiny once. <laughs> do, do, do we ignore our destiny? Do we just say, hey, you know what? This is a terrible time. Like how do how do we how do we just grasp that control of our emotions and say no? Well, I mean, you don't have to put all your emotions on hold, but you have to be gentle, be respectful. If it's a funeral, then you just say, "Hey, I've met this amazing person. I really would like to try to be friends with them. Is that okay if we start with a friendship and just friends for a while? Try to integrate the group a little bit." But be respectful of, of the trials that they're going through with a funeral or if they're pregnant and the hormone levels and say, you know, I, I want to be here to support you. I want to be there with you. How do we get through this together? But I don't want to ignore this person that's coming into my life because then you come into NRE, the new relationship energy mm -hmm. that usually lasts four to six months. So if you can stay friends and build a friendship on six months and still have all those electrifying feelings, go for it. I mean, but talk to your, your existing partners and be respectful about it. It's there's what 500 billion people in this world. I think you're going to be okay. <laughs> there's a lot of polyamorous folks out there and you know, we're, we're, coming up through through the brush right like we're we're popping our heads out more and more and saying hey here we are here we are so many communities uh like the one that you're building in san antonio um you know all over facebook there's there's so many uh and you know i i ldrs right long distance relationships those those are are common at least uh in in our communities so there's a lot of you have one. I have. I've been with one partner who lives in Florida, and we've been together since 2009. Wow. Now, so I have not been in a long-distance relationship. Um, shoot, I'm trying to think. Close, <laughs> the closest thing. So a veteran also. Uh, I was in the Navy. Uh, the closest thing that I had to a long-distance relationship was a, a girl that I chased for 10 years while I was in the Navy. And Dude, I almost had you. <laughs> no, it wasn't even close. <laughs> um, but you know, like ever since I, I haven't had one. Can you tell me a little bit about like that experience and the difference between like a long distance relationship and one that's so close? You know, how do you, how do you manage and balance all of that? Lots of communication, Zoom, FaceTime. Zoom. Um, yeah, we, we do a lot of that. We talk a lot that way. I, I'm starting to date again since the death of Joe and he lives on the other side of San Antonio. So it's, it's about a 45 minute drive. So we correlate when we get to see each other. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a little different than having somebody live with us. 
but we're we're doing it. It just it takes patience and trust. But if you're doing kitchen poly, kitchen table poly like we do, everything's mm -hmm. on the table. Everything's open and honest, which is the other reason I so love poly because you don't have to lie. And the more you lie, right. the more you have to keep track of what your lies are. So mm -hmm. being open and honest is great. Absolutely. And, you know, that kind of leads actually to uh, the fourth point of your article. I'm still like over here on the side. Uh, polyamorous people feel more secure in their relationships because of these communication skills. We're able to express our concerns and fears. Um, do you find that a lot of people are asking for the reassurance? Is, is, is there like a point where asking for reassurance becomes needy and codependent? Yes. Yes, it does. And so people just, you have to know yourself. And if you don't know yourself and you don't understand what your boundaries are and what your needs are, then it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough journey for polyamory. So I always tell clients, write down what you want, write down all your needs. Even if it's something like I want to wear red underwear every day, you know, write down what your needs are. I don't care how silly or stupid you think they are. And then start prioritizing. This is something I have to have every day. This is something I can have every week. This is something I can have every month. So when you start putting these into priorities, then you can start realizing what you bring to the table in a polyamorous relationship and what you need. And the other one is the five love languages is a Ooh. great way to start that list. Nice love languages and see what they are. What do how do you give love languages and what are your receiving love languages? There's a great way to start that. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, I was listening to uh, Jessica Fern's book, uh, Polysecure, and she talks about one of her partners uh, knows his partner's love languages and makes sure to do something daily or weekly or whatever it was specific to that love language. Or maybe it's like whenever they get together that they do something specific to that lo love language to to speak to it. So that's skills I've acquired over a very long career. <laughs> yes. It now takes the, a long time. It, it takes a long time. I mean, 19 years, you, you got it down to a science. <laughs> well, we've been through our batshit crazy. We've been through our, oh my God, what are we doing? Um, yeah, we've, we've been through that. And that's the big thing also people say, well, I'm polyamorous. Why can't I find anybody to date? Have you ever tried dating as a monogamous person and how long it takes to find somebody? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll double that for polyamory. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I 100% agree with that because, I mean, that was. And I've been saying it, Miguel. Huh? I've been saying it. I've been saying it. That that was definitely me, uh, you know, as a monogamous person on eHarmony, on Tinder, on uh, Plenty of Fish, on, you know, all the different dating sites that you can think of and like nothing. I have zero luck with online dating. Polyamory, on the other hand, uh, I, I was lucky in that here in San Diego, we do have uh, a pretty thriving polyamorous community. And so they had this one event called Poly Cocktails. Uh, and, you know, we go and we have some drinks and we chit chat with this huge group, you know, like 50 people at least all polyamorous and just mingle and i got to meet my partner that way met her, met her in the wild as we say <laughs> so you're telling me there's a chance there is a chance there is a chance i mean covid has locked things down 
So I just started doing my Zoom classes so that I can get to meet people and do things. We're looking at maybe doing a barbecue the end of May for our group out here. But again, I live 40 miles from San Antonio. There is nobody out here but cows and chickens and horses. (laughs) It's a lot of social distancing, but COVID has really shut things down for a lot of people. We have a new member to our group that has started doing a Sunday night at eight o'clock central time, doing a poly, just get together and talk. And you can find that on the meetup group also. So we're trying, we're doing what we can. I know San Diego's doing what they can. Poly Cocktails, I know, has been trying. They've been around for a long time and they're trying to keep things going. Seattle's trying to keep things going. The East Coast, they're really shut down. So it's really hard for them. So, yeah. Yep. But there's a chance. It, it, things are coming back. You know, vaccinations are coming. It's 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 all going to be okay, everyone. It's all going to be okay. Um, two last things before we we end our show here. There's there's one note that uh, in in your article that I want you to speak to here. Uh, when it comes to polyamory versus monogamy, you say neither way is better than the other. But there are definitely some perks to polyamory that monogamous couples may be missing out on. So neither way is better than the other. I mean, I read through through your uh, through your article, and I'm like, well, we have open communication. We're less prone to jealousy and STIs. We we raise emotionally intelligent children. We're more secure in our relationships. What do you mean it's not better than monogamy? I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> it probably doesn't. <laughs> But some people just can't be poly. I have my dear friends have been married 35 years. He's like, I would love to be with another woman, but I could not ever imagine her being with someone else. And I just know it's me. It's not her. It's me. Now she says the same thing. She could be with another man, but she can't imagine him being with somebody else. So they're very honest and open about they cannot do poly. And they come to all of our barbecues and classes. And they always say, we're the token monogamy couple. So <laughs> some people really just poly isn't for them. I mean, like some people can't live in California. Some people can't live in the Northeast. Some people can't handle Texas. So some people can't handle poly, but I mean, for you and I, it's the only way. So yeah. It it makes the most sense for sure. All right. The very last thing before we head off for the day, uh, if anybody wants to, work with you if you are providing uh, your services your coaching services to the uh, polyamorous public uh, whether inside or outside of san antonio you let us know uh, how can people best get in touch with you just email me you have my email up there or you can go through the meetup group those are the best ways to get a hold of me and i charge about 50 dollars an hour and i've got different pay pay methods and coaching usually lasts about five or six sessions at the most. And it's any kind of relationship, just not just poly, but I do specialize with poly and kink. Perfect. And for our listening audience, that is nancyeweb at gmail.com. Uh, you can find her on Twitter at nancye1029. And that's uh, meetup.com. You know what? Just search San Antonio Polyamory or, you know, dot com slash San Antonio Polyamory with hyphens in between all those words. Right. All right, Nancy, uh, Dr. Webb. Thank you so much for uh, hanging out with me and spending some time with me today. Uh, really appreciate you uh, giving us an education and, and telling us the things that you've learned. Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here?
amazing, James. Thank you for everything. So I, I, I'm, I'm excited to continue hearing what you do and the new guests you have. Thank you so much. Thanks for your support. All right. And everybody else who's listening, don't forget, if you tune in live, you get no commercial interruptions. But the same cannot be said for the podcast downloads. So make sure that you tune in every day, Monday through Wednesday at 2.30. I am going to have some uh, special slots coming up here because I went a little bit crazy in emailing everybody on polyfriendly.org and I got way too many um, responses. So I'm going to have some special slots coming up here. But uh, other than that, if you want those commercial-free RSS feeds, go over to Patreon, uh, sign up, and uh, you'll be able to get those downloads um, from the Patreon-only content and, you know, other stuff that we're going to have. And don't forget, please subscribe, rate, review. Thank you, Robert, for tuning in with us, for hanging out. Appreciate it, even though you're right next to Dr. Webb there, Uh, but everybody else. Oh, he he went to the other. Okay. Okay. He went to the other side of the house. There you go. Uh, Follow me on all my social media at practicing poly a everybody. We thank you so much for hanging out. Really, really appreciate every single one of you. Have a nice day. Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash.